0: we get to the fifth chapter of Galatians, I want to remind you of where we began this morning. We've met as a people who have obtained mercy from the Lord. I suppose that that's true of many of you in the room. So let me just pose it as a question to you. This is not a rhetorical question. This is a question that you can answer. Have you obtained mercy from the Lord? Amen. Amen. Abundant mercy in the Lord. So, the degree of mercy that we have received does not equate to that way in which we just expressed it, thankfully. Um, we have not received meager amounts of mercy. We have received untold amounts. Of mercy from the Lord. I want to read you before we go to Galatians 5. I was just thinking about this as we sang. We are here as those believing who are looking to Christ. We are told by the author of Hebrews to fix our gaze upon Jesus because he is the author and finisher of our faith. We are to look to him. In Mark chapter 10, I want to read just a few verses about a man named Bartimaeus reading in the 46th verse of Mark 10. Now they came to Jericho, as, and as he went out of Jericho with his disciples, and a great multitude, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, set by the road begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy. Then many warned him to be quiet, but he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. Then they called the blind man. They said to him, Be of good cheer. Rise, he is calling for you. And throwing aside his garment, he rose and came to Jesus So Jesus answered and said to him, what do you want me to do for you? Let me just stop. If there's any of that question in your heart this morning, it's a good question. If there's any reply, if you have something just ready to jump off of your lip to the Lord when he asks the question, what do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, Rabbi, that I may receive my sight. Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus on the road. Jesus had mercy in abundance upon Bartimaeus, the blind beggar. So if we're here this morning... And we're asking for mercy. Jesus never, in the scriptures, never turned away anyone who came seeking mercy. If you come out any other way, seeking recognition for your good works, seeking recognition for some type of prestige or notoriety, or any of those types of things the Son of God will not notice you. But if you're sitting beside the road figuratively, and you have nothing, and you realize you're empty-handed, and you ask the Son of God for mercy, it will be yours. So let's turn to Galatians chapter 5. I want to read verses 22 to the end of the chapter, and we'll pray. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Let's pray. Father, we come to your Word and we're seeking to be submissive to it. Lord, there is much in our heart That would distract us, there is much that would draw us away, there is much that would close and stop our ears, there is much that would shut our eyes to the truth. So we're praying, Lord, for your mercy, even as Bartimaeus is beside the road. Lord, we pray that you have mercy on us. Lord, we desire not to hear the voice of a man, I have nothing to give, nothing to say that doesn't accord with your truth. So in those things that accord to the truth, Lord, I pray that you would attend them with power, that the Spirit of God would move amongst us, convince us of the truth, apply it into our hearts and give us understanding. Father, may we leave here this morning in one accord, as those who have yet again obtained mercy from your hand. And, Father, if it would please you, if it would please you to raise one up this morning through salvation, through the experience of this first degree of saving mercy, O oh God, we pray, unto your own glory and unto your own praise, and for the good of any here and outside of Christ that you would do just then. Lord, we pray and ask it in the mighty name of Jesus. So last week, we considered the previous verses, which detailed for us the works of the flesh. Paul said that these works of the flesh were evident. They were easily recognizable. You can't hide them. They're easily recognizable as the works of the flesh, meaning that they were birthed or born in you out of A sinful nature, which even a Christian remains or retains a sinful nature. Paul grouped those three, he grouped those works of the flesh into three categories. We talked about them. He grouped them into the categories of sexual sin, into the category of idolatry or sorcery, and then lastly, the sins of malice and ill intent toward others. I don't want to go back and retrace the steps we've already walked in. But I do want to review just enough that the contrast of the 22nd verse comes out. Because it's a big one. We need to carefully move forward as we understand exactly what Paul is saying for us here. He's contrasting the works of the flesh with the fruit of the Spirit the works of the flesh being plural because there are many of them and they hardly ever agree with one another. They're divided. And as such, a house divided against itself will not stand. Jesus said that when he was accused of casting out demons by the power, by the prince of demons. The fruit of the spirit is singular. Not that it doesn't have many different Manifestations, but singular because they are all in harmony with one another. They're not contradicting one another. The love that is produced in the believer is not contradictory to his joy or his peace or his long suffering or his kindness or his goodness or faithfulness, gentleness or self-control. They all work together. And as the Lord produces this fruit in us with the increasing measure, in increasing measure, that even as Rusty prayed this morning, we are being conformed to the image of Jesus. We've talked in recent weeks about this war that's taking place in your heart right now. The war that you felt in your mind and your heart throughout the week of the flesh lusting against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. So much that you have not done many of the good things that you would have done this week. Maybe even this morning. But the, the other side of the truth is also a great truth. The lust of the flesh haven't stopped you from doing many of the good things that you would. It seems to be a two-way street. Again, we see the real struggle of it in Romans chapter 7. You can go there and read that again sometime on your own. All Christians struggle with this war. The works of the flesh, to be defined by the works of the flesh, Paul said last week in the 21st verse, Those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And we said about this word practice last week, that this is a present active indicative participle. It's a lot of fancy words, but what it means is that it's an ongoing action. It's an action of some duration. It's a continual habitual activity. That seems to be in context, one that is not being repented of. It's one that is rather being gloried in. And we said last week at the close that this is the fruit, so to speak, revealing the nature of the tree. This is a word that Paul speaks to those who, for various reasons... Reasons are convinced that they are Christ's, yet in practice give no evidence of being his whatsoever. It's something that should cause you to perk up and listen. It's a very sobering few verses. Your and my eternal destiny is at stake. This is nothing to be trifled with. The works of the flesh... And the fruit of the Spirit being contrasted here, we need to be very clear. Please hear what I'm about to say. We are not saved by our works, nor are we kept by our works. We are saved by Christ and kept by Christ. Salvation is Christ all the way through, from beginning to end. Every step that you take in between, it all points to the goodness and the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says that in Ephesians chapter 2. He says very clearly, it is by grace you have been saved through faith. That's the key component. That's the element that must be found is faith in hell. And this is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. It's not of works. If it were of works, we would boast. We would brag. We would say, look what I've done. Paul closes that thought by saying we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We're not saved by good works, we're saved unto good works. We're saved to do good works. We're saved to do all of those one another type things that the New Testament expects of us believer to believer. But then also we're saved to make the goodness of Christ known to the world around us. Much of what I'm going to say to you this morning centers around one word in verse 22, the word but, the word of contrast. I want to ask a few questions that I hope will be helpful to really bring the contrast out. I want to pause here, so to speak, and Reiterate the truth of scripture concerning the true nature of salvation. What does it mean to be saved? If your answer only goes so far as to say, I'm saved from the flaming fire of hell. And there's more truth of scripture that we need to be reminded of. Now, thank God it's true. That to be saved means, in part, to be saved from the flaming fire of hell, the lake of fire, the place called Gehenna, where the worm never dies, where thirst is never quenched. But there's so much more to how we can answer, what does it mean to be saved? What 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 is conversion? What does it mean to be converted? What has changed about me or you from who we were before to who we are now? And I'm not just talking about external things. I'm not talking about doing things now that you didn't do then or vice versa. What does it mean to be born again? I'll remind you the same thing from last week. Jesus told Nicodemus in John 3, you must be born again. It's not an option. You must. How are you different now than before faith came? I want to recommend to you a small little paperback book written by Henry Schugel. He was an old author. I think he wrote this in the 1600s, maybe 1700s. The title... Is very plainly, the life of God in the soul of man. That's what's different about you. The life of God is now in your soul. What do I mean by that? What does he mean by that? The Spirit of God has been given to you. At the point of conversion, the moment of salvation... The moment you are justified before God by faith in Christ and His righteousness applied to you, the Spirit of God rushes in and takes up residence in your life. Last week we said it's no coincidence that He is called the Holy Spirit because He is leading you in holiness. He is your helper. He is your comforter. He is the one walking beside you, having come alongside you. This little book that I've Recommended to you was given by Susanna Wesley to her son Charles, who then gave it to his friend George Whitfield. And George Whitfield is a name that should ring in your ears because he was one of the the greatest preachers of his day, used mightily of God in the awakenings, even here on this continent. And Whitfield said after reading this book, I I am convinced that I must be born again or be damned. He confessed, I've never really understood true religion until I read this book. Now, I don't want to make more of this small book than I should. I'm not exalting it to the place of scripture. I'm not saying you have to read it before you die or you're going to hell. I'm not saying anything like that. I'm just saying it's helpful. It's useful. And it goes a long way in answering the question, what has changed? What's different? I want to remind you of some things in Scripture that correspond to... The contrast that Paul is making between the works of the flesh and the fruit of the spirit. And in doing so, I want to take you back just one chapter to verse 19, chapter 4, Galatians. Paul says, there are my little children for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you. That's after in his ministry to Galatians that Christ would be formed in them Romans chapter 8 verse 29 I bet if I asked who could quote chapter 8 verse 28 most of the hands would go up That's a comforting verse, it's a helpful verse, sometimes it's a hard verse all things are working for good for those who love God, who are called according to His purpose. The 29th verse, not so familiar, but just as needful and necessary. For those who He predestined, He also is working in them conformity to the image of Jesus. Why did God save you? Well, numerous answers for his own glory for my good yes yes but also part of that answer is to conform me to the image of the son of God and as we read through this list of the fruit of the spirit what we see there is this is the character the nature the life of Jesus defined isn't it Jesus was is love He expressed it greatly, didn't he? He is joy. He is the very essence of peace. He is the prince of peace. He is long-suffering. He is kind. He is good. He is faithful. He is gentle. And he was in every way self-controlled. So... We see that these correspond perfectly to the nature of Jesus. This is what the Spirit of God is producing in me and in you, conforming us to the image of Jesus. That's why Peter would say in Second Peter chapter 1 that as believers we are partakers of the divine nature. Now obviously not to a full degree. Certainly not to the degree that we would like it to be and that we would like to experience, but that doesn't negate the truth of it, that we are partakers of the divine nature. There is something in you now that was missing before your conversion that makes you look like Jesus, not externally, but it's in you. It's the life of God in your soul. John chapter 3, same conversation with Nicodemus. Jesus says there that we are to be born again, born of the Spirit. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 3 that Christ should dwell in us by faith. Colossians 1.27, Christ is in you, the hope of glory. Galatians chapter 2 verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. But Christ lives in me. And the life. I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the son of God. Who loved me. And gave himself for me. There is no injustice or harm done to this passage. If you make that very personal. The life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me. And he gave himself for me. Is it true he gave himself for you too? If, if you trust in him, absolutely. But that doesn't negate the fact that I can say Christ is mine. He's mine. And he's yours. He's ours together. It's part of the joy of being a part of the people of God. All of these glorious truths about Christ being formed in us is what Paul is speaking to when he contrasts the works of the flesh with the fruit of the Spirit. say this because I have a lot of favorite authors. Octavius I just like his name, by the way, Octavius. He is one of my favorite people to read. He writes on my level, perhaps. This is what he has said. Not so much commenting on this verse, but it applies stormed by Satan himself, assaulted by his corruption, scorned by men, and even in the moment of unbelief and in the hour of deep trial, its existence doubted by the believer himself, Talking about faith, yet there, there it is deeply lodged in the eternity of God, bound up in the heart and with the existence of God, and no soul nor thing can destroy it. Talking about our faith in Christ. Of which Paul again, Romans chapter 8, of which Octavius Winslow has written a commentary on Romans chapter 8. Get it, devour it, and he'll tremendously bless you. Paul has said there, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. No height, no depth, no created thing, no spiritual host of wickedness, none of those types of things. Or all of them together can separate us from the love of Christ. I'm thinking all of this time to try to show the force of the contrast in the 22nd verse. But let me go back and read verse 16. I'm going to read down to the 22nd verse and Lord willing, we'll see the stark contrast there as we read it the way it was written. Verse 16, I say then walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh for the flesh lust against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh and these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things you wish but if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and everything like them, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in time past, That those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. There is nothing governing or limiting your expression of the fruit of the Spirit. The law greatly hinders the work of the flesh, doesn't it? The law at every point, because it corresponds to the moral character of God, the law condemns the works of the flesh. Not so the fruit of the spirit. The law rejoices in the fruit of the spirit. The law is in perfect agreement with the fruit of the spirit. The law, in many respects, is pointing us to these the very fruit of the Spirit. And so I've already mentioned it is, let me mention it again. I'm not going to go through these one by one this morning. That's coming next week, Lord willing. Notice the unity and the harmony of what the Spirit is producing in you and in me. Just like the works of the flesh seem to be expressed in categories, so too the fruit of the spirit. Three categories, again, there are those which contain spiritual graces. There are those which point to our conduct amongst one another. And then lastly, personal discipline. You know what doesn't work for a believer? What, what saying that floats around sometimes that just doesn't fit if you're a believer? There's no truth in it whatsoever. The devil made me do it. No, he didn't. You chose to do it. That's self-control or lack of self-control. He might attempt. took the bait, but he did not overpower you and make you do it because he himself has been overpowered by Christ the the strong man has been bound one has entered his house that has bound him thank God for it so don't discount this last element of the fruit of the spirit which we'll get to in time self-control Against these things there is no the law. And notice, it doesn't say. I think it's implied, but it doesn't explicitly say that the fruit of the spirit is evident. But it is evident. The works of the flesh are evident or apparent. So too the fruit of the spirit. Any time that I exude true, selfless. Sacrificial love for you, you can bet the Spirit of God has produced that in me because it is not in me naturally. You can say the same. Anytime in going through any kind of trial or even living under prosperity, we talked about that this morning in our, in our Sunday school hour. Sometimes prosperity is a test. It's a trial. We very often see it as living under the blessing of God. But According to James in chapter 1, it can be a trial that you have to pass through to be to learn endurance and perseverance, and patience. Anytime we can live in that way and still have a measure or even a great measure of joy, then we can be assured that the fruit of the Spirit is evident in my life. If we are to live in this world with any kind of peace at all peace with God purchased for us by Christ or the peace of God ruling and reigning in our heart if that is to be displayed then it must be it has to be the work of the spirit in my life producing it because I just cannot do that on my own same goes for kindness kindness Patience, goodness, faithfulness, and you can run through the list. If you see that in me, or if you see that in yourself, just know, and praise the Lord, that His Spirit is at work. But let's not miss the obvious. This is the freedom of the Spirit. Which again, to reiterate, is the great difference in me and you after conversion. The Spirit of God has come. You can grieve Him. We can grieve Him by any number of ways by rejecting the truth, by not glorying in the truth, by succumbing to temptation. giving ourselves to those things that he has, has given us to sustain our spiritual life. You, you realize, don't you, we had this conversation in our home this week. Your spiritual self must be fed to the same degree or even greater than your physical self is fed. I don't know about you, but I like to eat. I'm not ashamed of that. I like good food, And I don't very often deprive myself of it. What about spiritually? Now, let me just ask you a sincere question. There's no malice or ill intent behind this question. Just concern. If you don't feed yourself spiritually, how can you be anything but a malnourished Christian? Don't depend upon me standing here 45-50 minutes a week to be enough to feed you. It's just not. You have to feed yourself You have to open your Bible, you have to read it, even when you don't feel like it. Your feelings, as a a means of governing your life, very dangerous to be governed by feelings. There is too much in this world that affects the way we feel. There is too much in this world that will make you feel not feel like doing anything spiritual at all. Take prayer, for example. I've heard prayer described this way. Prayer is the most spiritual thing we do. Agree or disagree, we would all say, I think, one of the most spiritual things we do. It's necessary for the Christian life. It's a part of the way that we feed ourselves. We must. Or we're malnourished. These things, this fruit is produced of the spirit as you give yourself to the means of grace. I've, I've said that phrase so many times in the last few weeks. I realize that. I'm intentionally repeating it. I'm not just saying it because I can't think of anything else to say. The means of grace, what are they? Reading scripture, meditating upon scripture, studying the scripture, prayer, observing the ordinances, which Lord willing, we're going to do next week. giving yourself to the fellowship of the saints, if you're not doing these things, then you are spiritually malnourished. isn't that the exhortation that is governing this whole paragraph verse 16 I say then walk in the spirit what's the promise attached to that walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh and so to a great degree and measure we can say when we hang our heads in shame at the end of the day I did not do today all the good that I wanted to do Oh, wretched man that I am, just like Paul in Romans 7. Then we can say at the end of the day, just have a walk in the spirit. Remember last week, walking in the spirit is a determined activity. It is something that you must intentionally do. It does not happen by default. There is no mysticism involved in it. It's just, will you? walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh life in the spirit equals walking in the spirit means that you're just not going to have a head full of knowledge but it's going to work its way out it's going to show up and reflect in the way that you live of behaving as a Christian. And again, we can take that too far, and we can reach the end and say, what I do saves me or keeps me saved. Reject all of that, just throw it in the garbage. What you do is a reflection of what's in your heart. Just like what's in your heart is going to make its way out through your mouth. Next week, Lord willing, we're going to go back to verse 22. We're going to look at each one of these. See how they are an expression of Christ. See how they are an expression of Christ in us. But this morning, I wanted to just show the great contrast. I want to ask you another question. Do you belong to Jesus Christ by faith? Are you His? Have you come to the end of yourself and just seen the natural life outside of Christ for all the emptiness that it really is? Go read the book of Ecclesiastes. The king. He says so much. I did not deprive myself of one thing that this world could offer. He had the means to be able to do it. He had the servants to do it. If it was an imagination or a fancy of his heart, he provided it for himself. But what was his summary of all of that? Vanity. Of vanities, all is vanity. There is nothing real in anything this world offers you. Please hear me say that. Some of you need to hear me say that. There is nothing real in what this world has to offer. It's all sparkly and shiny, alluring, but it's not real. It's not lasting. It's all perishing. It's all going away. And so are you. In your greatest moment, some of you are looking forward to that great moment, some of you are like me, and you have to look backwards to see that great moment. But in your greatest moment, you are nothing more than a little bit of breathing dust. Don't forget it. Mm. This world has nothing to offer you. Christ has everything to offer you. And just like Bartimaeus, if you ask for it, you're going to get it. Is not going to say, I don't think so. You ask for mercy, a flood of mercy you will get. conforming us to his image. That Christ is being formed in us. That the life that we now live in the flesh, we live by faith in him. Christ is dwelling in us by faith. Christ in us is the very hope of our glory. Lord, I pray that you would find Those Bartimaeuses beside the side of the road, who even though it be a faint cry for mercy, Lord, that you would hear them. Even though it be veiled, that you would hear them. Father, we desire mercy in spiritual things. Lord, we want to be brought to you. Lord, would you show the true nature of this world to that one who is still clinging to it? Would you show the fleeting and passing nature of it? Would you show the truth that this world has nothing of great value to offer in the most important thing in life? There is nothing that this world has to offer that can affect, that can't affect the final state of my soul. But Father, we know that in Christ there is a treasure. There are riches that far outweigh the measly supposed treasures of this world. Father, do your work. Be glorified in it. Save those among us, Lord, who stand in need of salvation. Strengthen the faith of weak brethren, weak believers. Lord, minister to us. Please, we ask that you Let us leave this place today as those who have profited from our time spent in your worship, those who have profited from the scriptures, those who have been built up, further prepared to go out into the world and live lives unto your glory. If you don't do it for us, it will not be done. So we ask. Jesus, Son of David, Son of God, have mercy on us.